I'm Kate Daniels. Our sense of sight, something we typically take so for granted until something goes wrong. In general, though, we navigate our world with our vision guiding us along quite wonderfully. Knowledge about vision in general and then how it affects us can be quite valuable as we age to understand changes and also to know about research and advances in this field. Dr. Joseph Dowling, Jr., a practicing ophthalmologist and clinical associate professor emeritus of surgery at Brown, and his brother John, a professor of ophthalmology in neuroscience at Harvard, offer this information in their new book, Vision, How It Works and What Can Go Wrong. So let's meet Dr. Joseph Dowling now. Dr. Joseph Dowling, Jr., good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Well, thank you very much for having me. I am just really so happy that we have an opportunity to have this very important conversation about your work and about the latest work, which is a book that you have uh, authored with your brother, who is also, we'll call it, in the eye business. Well, that's right. It just it was just a coincidence that we both ended up in the eye field. He's in the basic science research, and I'm in the clinical taking care of patients uh, aspect of it. So actually, that's a really good melding, isn't it? A good combination with your two backgrounds to write a book that really gives us a, a good encompassing view about our eyes, about vision. Well, that's how we started out. Uh, we thought that maybe it would be worthwhile to have a book that emphasized, first of all, the basic science and the basic physiology of, of the eyes and vision and how we see, and then combine that with the problems that occur in the eye uh, as we go through life, the various diseases, cataracts, and so forth. And so that was how it started out, because a lot of basic scientists don't know much about the clinical end, and a lot of clinicians don't know a lot about the basic science end. But then we modified the book to appeal to the general reader who, with intellectual curiosity is anxious to learn how his or her eyes work and what's happening when things go wrong. Now we hope available and helpful for everybody. Indeed. And really at the crux of that, as to having that curiosity, the numbers, percentages, what is in store for us as we age, really are what should compel us to want to have more information, wouldn't you say? Well, I would think so. And every survey that's been done shows that the general population has a greater fear of blindness or losing their vision than of almost any other medical condition short of advanced cancer. People are interested in learning about it, and, and we all have changes that take place in our eyes as we go through life, so it is uh, helpful to understand what's happening. Exactly. And that the percentages really increase. I was rather astounded by how, as we age, naturally our eyes do lose um, that ability to see clearly, and it just really increases. So I think if we have that awareness, it's going to help us to, well, I think, one, maybe take better care of our eyes, right? Right. And then, further to that, know what recourse we have, what's available, because as you said, there's not necessarily all the communication yet going on between the two fields, the the research and the ophthalmologist, and so this uh, could help us to be an informed patient. 
Yes, we the, the the two sides don't always talk the same language, which is interesting. But my brother and I get along pretty well, except on the golf course. <laughs> well, at least in, in the field of your work, then, you get along. So when you are together, e- even on the golf course, do you talk about your work and about vision and all the things related to it? Well, we do up to a certain point, but we really talk sort of a different language. And uh, he looks at things from one point of view, and I look at it from another. But when we were writing this book, there was a lot of back and forth, and uh, we would write a chapter. I'd write, I'd write one, and he'd send it back, emacerated, and then I would uh, rewrite it, and uh, finally we'd end up with something that we were both reasonably content with. And actually, that in itself is really such an accomplishment because it you really the reader is not able to really differentiate between who's giving this information except to maybe know that, oh, if it's scientific, then it is your brother, Dr. John. If it's more in terms of the disease and what can be done, it's you speaking. Right. That, that is the fact. So in terms of vision, and so it's our eyes begin to deteriorate as we age. To begin with, is there something we can do that's going to maybe offset that deterioration? Well, um, I'm not not entirely sure the word deterioration is correct. I mean, Uh if a person is born with perfectly normal eyesight and he or she can see well uh, during their younger years, uh, when when the normal uh, focused person gets to be in the early 40s, the ability to focus is lost or decreases and people have to wear reading glasses. That's why they sell them in uh, drugstores and all these uh, these uh, aids for uh, a little more magnification, but I don't I don't call that real deterioration. I think deterioration in the eye is a condition where one can't see with glasses. In other words, the eye has lost the capability of seeing. But these normal changes, like the change of uh, focusing that we all get around the age of 40, except for nearsighted people, and they're already wearing glasses for distance, so they just have to have either something else or take their glasses off for near. But uh, but that that's a normal change which takes place not because the eye muscles get weaker or because something basically deteriorates, but because the... Uh, uh, muscles that are used to f- change the shape of the lens of the eye, which causes focusing. In other words, that enables us to look from far to near and be able to read things and also see far away. But uh, the the uh, the problem isn't that the muscles get weaker, but the lens of the eye gets harder, so that the same amount of muscle power results in less effective focusing. But uh, that, that we call that a normal physiological. Uh, change, and we don't call that a, uh, a real deterioration. It's just like a lot of people who are nearsighted say they have very weak eyes. They say, oh, I've got these thick glasses, man. I've got very weak eyes. Well, we don't consider those eyes to be weak as long as they have the capability of good vision. So when they put their glasses on, they can see clearly, and everything is focusing and working well in the eyes. So they're not really weak. They're just not in the right focus. And so perhaps then we just have to 
really just be aware that this is a general process of life. Right. Right? Yeah, exactly. And that's something that happens to everybody. It manifests itself in different ways, but it's a, it's a universal change. But that, we, we call that physiological, which means it's something that happens normally. And that, is, that contrasts with uh, abnormal conditions in the eyes, diseases like cataracts and glaucoma, and conditions that really cause deterioration and damage to the eyes. So we've sort of got two separate uh, categories there. Okay, so that is important to realize, and one of the big reasons that this book, Vision, How It Works and What Can Go Wrong, really is so important to each and every one of us, because of course, we are all, unless we have perhaps been born blind, we all are dealing with vision and what we can do to uh, to really protect it, I guess. Well, actually, that's true. And you just mentioned being born blind. Well, one of the, one of the really uh, unknown but important things about taking care of the eye is a lot of research and a lot of advances that have been that have originated from the study of eyes and vision have applications elsewhere in the body. Right now, the medical profession is on the verge of some amazing advances. And uh, one of that areas is uh, to uh, utilize new genes for conditions that are caused by uh, genetic factors, replacing a damaged and imperfect gene with with a normal gene. And in the last couple of years, there have been Uh, Quite a few cases of uh, children born with a congenital disease that has led in the past to inevitable blindness in their young age, young years, and certainly by the time they got into uh, being 20 years old. And that's called a labor's congenital blindness. And in the past couple of years, people doing research in eyes have taken normal genes and injected them into the back of people's eyes behind the retinas, and the uh, blindness is caused by uh, this condition has not uh, developed. And people have not only maintained good vision, but those who had lost some vision retrieved it. So it's been, a, it's been an amazing thing, and this is going to open a great number of uh, new approaches to treating uh, diseases because most diseases do have a genetic component to it. Anyway, so ophthalmology is a great specialty and it's led to a lot of advances. For instance, uh, the ophthalmologists are the ones that first utilized lasers for treatment and we also have been instrumental in using ultrasound for diagnosis and microsurgery and a number of other uh, a number of other things. So Ophthalmology is a uh, is a very useful uh, component of the medical profession. Absolutely, and it in itself obviously has grown and expanded because your own father was an ophthalmologist, correct? Yes, he was the first ophthalmologist in Rhode Island. It was sort of interesting. He finished medical school, and he was interested in uh, what what at that time was called eye, ear, nose, and throat. All the, the people who took care of eyes also did ear, nose, and throat. So 
that was that was the specialty at the time. And when my father went into the army in World War One, he met a lot of doctors from around the country, and he found uh, that some of them were opening their offices just for the practice of ophthalmology. And he really liked the ophthalmology part better than the ear, nose, and throat part. So when he was discharged from the army in 1918 and came back from Providence, he opened his office as an ophthalmologist. Of course, some of the eye, ear, nose, and throat people resented that a little bit, but nevertheless, that was the that was the beginning. And now we have, well, we have like 60 ophthalmologists in the state of Rhode Island. And when I came to practice here, there were only 13. And my father was number one way a number of years before that. So it's been a labor of love. It it sounds like it, and and certainly all within your family uh, to have your father, then you and your brother, uh, continuing this work, and then seeing the the history and the advancements, such great hope. Well, seeing how it really, in essentially a hundred years, which is not really that much time, so much has changed. Well, it has just just in my lifetime. When I finished my training at. Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary, we, we believed, and I think we were, on the cutting edge of uh, the care of eyes. But if I took care of eyes today the way I was taught back then, I would probably be laughed out of town because the changes have been so great. And, and that's what's really hopeful for any of us is seeing how change occurs. And it seems that time frame seems to be shrinking more and more that, you know, perhaps the issues we have today, uh, you know, in, an, in another generation, maybe even less, will pretty much be part of the past. Absolutely. Now, even, even when, I, when I came along, a cataract operation was a big thing. Patients were in the hospital for two or three days. They had to walk around as if they were walking on eggshells so they wouldn't uh, move the eye too much. And nowadays, it's sort of routine. People come into our surgery center at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they go home at 11 o'clock, and they can see again. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's such a, that's such a dramatic change from uh, just in the last 40 or 50 years. And hopefully there will be new advances for other eye diseases, glaucoma and macular degeneration, and those things we're sort of starting to hear a lot more about these days. Exactly. So cataracts is kind of the the norm you hear quite often, people going in for cataract surgery. Right. And that's kind of this a, a growth over the eye itself, right? Well, it's not really a growth. A growth is more in the line of a tumor, but... A cataract is the name that we give to the lens of the eye when instead of being nice and clear so you can see through it, it's become smudged and cloudy. And we uh, originally used to take out the cataract, which was the lens of the eye, and after the operation, the person would then have an eye without a lens, and the focusing would be very poor, so people would have to wear very thick glasses. They used to call them Coca-Cola glasses. And that's all, that's all gone now. Now if you have a cataract operation, the idea is to substitute a clear plastic lens for the cloudy natural lens and adjust it so that people can see without glasses, which most, most people do after cataract surgery nowadays. So, it, it, yeah, that is so phenomenal. That, that that happens. Well, yes, the, the, the advances are, are amazing. Now, believe it or not, the most common 
single operation performed on Medicare patients is cataract surgery. So of all the operations that senior citizens have, the most frequent is, uh, is cataract operations. And that goes way back. The first cataract operation was done something like two million years ago. And, uh, it was, of course, it was very crude in those days, and, and uh, the techniques have changed dramatically. But that, that, that was the first uh, time that people were having their cataracts operated on. Nowadays, people go in the hospital in the morning, and in a few days they're back driving and doing work and uh, living their lives again. So cataracts are the more common. Where does glaucoma fit in? Is it Well, that's a that's a different condition. That's associated now if you if you put your finger on your eyeball and press, you feel it's nice and firm. It's like a little marble. And the pressure in the in the eye is maintained by a flow of fluid. And sometimes in some people the pathway that the fluid leaves the eye through gets plugged up and the pressure builds up in the eye, only it's a very small amount of pressure and it doesn't cause any symptoms, but it gradually eats away at the optic nerve and destroys the vision. One of the problems with glaucoma is that when people lose vision from glaucoma, it's lost forever. The nerves are dead. We can't get them back. With the cataract, it's just an obstruction. We get that obstruction out of the way and everything else works fine. So the problem with the glaucoma is it doesn't cause any symptoms, and a lot of people have it, and they don't know it until there's a significant damage done, and that damage can't be retrieved. So this is one of the main reasons why people should periodically have an eye examination and have the pressure measured in their eye. And if the pressure is starting to rise, then with drops and in some cases with surgery, we can maintain the pressure at a normal level and keep people from losing their vision. But the problem there is that people don't know they have it. It's essentially an asymptomatic disease until there's a lot of damage, permanent damage done. So that justifies having your eyes examined every couple of years. And especially if you have a history of glaucoma, if a person has a history of glaucoma in the family, it's very important to keep right on top of measuring the uh, intraocular pressure periodically. That, I don't want to get too technical yes. here, but these are the these are two of the most common conditions that those of us who have we think normal eyesight are susceptible to. And then I know macular degeneration seems to be of a higher incidence. My mother lives in a retirement community, and she's about two years ago she was diagnosed with this, and it's really been like a, a gut punch to her. But many people in the residence seem to be affected by it as well. Right, and that that's our biggest that's our biggest challenge in ophthalmology right now, because the retina in the eye is like the film in the camera. We oftentimes compare the eye to a camera because the focusing operates in pretty much the same way. But the retina is is the equivalent of the film in the camera. And if you don't have a good film, you never can get a good picture. But the macula in the, in the human eye is the part of the retina that is used for acute vision. So when you look at a book to read some words or you look in a person's face to see what they look like or look at anything any kind of fine seeing, you do that with the macula. And in 
as folks get older, a high percentage of them start to develop deterioration in the macula. So they notice that their vision becomes a little blurry and a little more blurry and ultimately gets to the point where they can't see to read, can't recognize people, can't drive, do things like that. And uh, so that's a big problem. Now, as far as uh, macular degeneration is concerned, there are two kinds. There's a dry kind, which is less severe, but doesn't have much of any treatment available except for uh, use of, uh, of a multivitamin combination, which has been shown to slow down the progress. And the second kind is the wet kind, where new blood vessels form, and uh, a lot of people are being treated now by injections inside the eye, which slow down on that process and oftentimes retrieve some lost vision. But uh, it's not always a pleasant thing to have to go in once a month and have a doctor stick a needle in your eye. But people are doing it, and it is helping, but it is not the answer. But this uh, gene replacement therapy that I've been talking about, I think, is going to be the answer to that. Maybe not next year, not in five years, but certainly in 10 or 20 years. So there is hope. And that's what I was wondering because of your saying that early on with children and a genetic eye deficiency or disease, whether you can use that with adults, and evidently you can. Well, it hasn't been, it hasn't been really perfected to the point of offering it to the general population as yet, but it's certainly coming along, and it is going to be uh, – there are some – complications of doing it in old and folks and grown-ups as compared to children that uh, have to be overcome. But I have no doubt that that will be, that will happen in the next 10 or 20 years, because I hope we can both last that long. <laughs> yes, indeed. When we see that this is existing, and I'm certainly aware that there could be a genetic component in terms of my mother having this. So it would be important for you to be checked every year or two because if a person is going to get macular degeneration, there are usually little signs that we can see in the eye before there's been any effect on vision. And that gives us a little chance to get started on management a little sooner. So most of the time, I mean, if, if you were going to be getting macular degeneration and you went to an ophthalmologist today, he could say, yes, you have some signs that you are susceptible to macular degeneration, and that would mean that people would be aware of what you have and whatever was available could be applied. Well, I have my own eye exam coming up in just a couple of weeks' time, so that will be one of the key questions. But I know in past exams, the doctor has said, oh, there's these, there are these little things about cataracts, but they are so far off the <laughs> what radar in a way that they're not an issue at this time. Well, right. Now, actually... Uh, all of us get a, get cataracts to some extent because as we get to be older, 50 or 60 years old, none of us have perfectly clear lenses. So technically we could say everybody 60 years old has a cataract, but we actually don't use that word until, until the opacification of the lens causes some significant loss in vision. But so uh, so the the process it is said that if we all lived long enough we would all get cataracts but most of us don't live that long. Mm. But anyway, the nice thing is a cataract can be fixed so well nowadays. It was a big procedure at one time, but now it's uh, almost considered to be minor surgery. 
You know the definition of minor surgery. What's that? Major surgery is that's an operation on somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I think I've got that one backwards. Major yeah. surgery is an operation on me. Yes. No matter what. And I'd concur. I'm in your camp on that one. <laughs> so in terms of you know all these advances, which are so exciting, so much hope, what about the younger generation? Are they then looking forward to that? Or I think about, you know, all the uh, computer and phone work that uh, eyes are attached to. Is this in any way detrimental? No, that, that's uh, one thing. Uh, using your eyes is good for them. And, of course, young people always sort of assume that they are going to live forever and they don't worry too much about these things. But, you know, mothers used to say to their children, don't read in the dark. Make sure you have good light. Well, reading in bad light doesn't do your eyes any harm. You just can't see as well. People don't say, don't listen to faint sounds because you'll strain your ears. But they do say, don't read with faint light because you'll strain your eyes. There's no such thing as straining your eyes. There's another joke. The only way you can strain your eyes is by looking through a screen door. (laughs) Point well taken. And, you know, that's something I would hear from my mother a lot. No, it's too dark. Even Uh, now. I know. know That was the idea. Just like when television first came out, people said, don't sit too close to television. Well, that's all been proven not to be harmful. Well, what about the other one in terms of nutrition for the eyes? They would always say, eat your carrots. They're good for your eyesight. Well, that's right. You never saw a rabbit wearing glasses. (laughs) But... uh, uh, the normal diet here in the United States is perfectly adequate for nutrition of the eyes. But in, co- in countries where uh, starvation is uh, prominent, there are a lot of eye diseases that are the result of uh, inadequate uh, vitamins and minerals. But fortunately, uh, that's not a problem in the United States. Anybody who eats the usual Even the Big Mac diets here get enough ingredients to keep their eyes going. And you mentioned when we were discussing macular degeneration, the dry kind, a person could take a multivitamin supplement to help to kind of offset the timing of it. Well, in medicine in general, except for people with specific vitamin deficiencies, We're not believers in the medical profession that taking vitamins is good for people that makes them feel stronger or sleep better or all those different things. However, it has been shown that this uh, mixture of vitamins A, C, and E taken in fairly large doses, and this has been shown very factually, very scientifically, has been helpful in slowing down macular degeneration. But that's about the only place in uh, the eye that... uh, vitamin therapy is considered to be helpful. If you have normal eyes and you're not having any trouble seeing, then taking vitamins won't help you in any way. And so as a society, with all the advances we have, do you feel that we are taking better care of our eyes? Oh, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of it is based on uh, advertising on television, but uh, people have become more interested in their health, I think, over the years, and there are all sorts of articles and magazines and television programs and so forth that um, investigate various eye conditions. So I think people are more 
health conscious than they used to be, but it's very hard to pin that down in terms of numbers. Well, here's, I think, perhaps an ideal prescription for each and every one of us that is, if we will do this, is to pick up a copy of the book and become even more informed and aware. That's right. That, that was, that, I think that's one of the things that that book can do. It's a little bit challenging. I mean, we didn't hold off on uh, on some of the intricacies of it, but I think I think with the uh, illustrations at all, it, uh, a person who's reasonably intelligent and spends some time will learn a lot that will be helpful to know what's happening with their eyes. At least that's our that's our goal. And and it is written in such a way, even with the scientific information is to really captivate us so we can look to those sections that maybe we think are more pertinent and all the information is there for us. Right, exactly. And nowadays with the Internet, there are sources uh, of uh, information that we never had before. And so if, if some question comes up in the book that is not as clear as we might have liked it to be, you just have to, as they say, ask Mr. Google. Yes, that's it. Well, here we are then. Get our own copy. Go to our favorite book source online or brick and mortar. Pick up a copy of Vision, how it works, and what can go wrong. All right. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed our conversation. Well, Dr. Dowling, you are such a wealth of information. Thank you for taking time with us. You're very welcome.